Cinema Buns. I'm Ritter. I'm Mike. Still Kevin. <laughs> and uh, we've got a very special uh, guest with us today. Uh, if you want to go ahead and just uh, tell our audience uh, who you are and uh, what you do. Hi there. My name is Chris Lamont. I'm an independent filmmaker living in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I teach at the Sydney Poitier New American Film School at Arizona State University. I've been teaching for, oh my gosh, a long time, like since 2004. Um, I am the founder of the Phoenix Film Festival, Phoenix Film Society, one of the founders of the International Horror and Film Festival, Science Five Film Festival. Um, I've, been, I've written um, a few different movies with my writing partner, Joe Russo, that have been... Um, been uh been been shot and out in the world uh, uh probably the more notable ones is a uh, film that we did starring bruce willis called hard kill uh that premiered on netflix last year for worldwide distribution uh we also did a movie netflix bought a script for us um and shot it earlier this year called the last will and testament of charles abernathy supernatural horror film uh, we have a film called The Locksmith that we did a rewrite on that is shooting uh, right now, actually, in New Mexico with uh, Ryan Phillippe, Kate Bosworth, and Bing Rames. So I'm really proud of that. I've also did um, a lot of independent producing for a number of years and actually started as a director. So I've kind of I've done every job on a film set and, uh, you know, was able to use that uh, experience to uh, to uh, start the Phoenix Film Festival and then also to be able to be a pretty good professor. I consider myself a good professor over at ASU. <laughs> and then um, and then the screenwriting is something that me and my writing partner have been doing. I well, we started in 2008, but, uh, we you know, within the last five years, we've gotten some really good success. We're in the Writers Guild now as of this year, which is great. So uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's like. I live, breathe, and eat film, and, and luckily my, my wife and my kids put up with my creative idiosyncrasies. <laughs> oh, you're good. So uh, I guess let's start out with uh, kind of the most obvious question. What drew you to film in general? What made film the medium through which you wanted to go ahead and express yourself creatively and really delve into with passion? Well, I think like, you know, everyone who goes to the movies there's a certain level of escapism where you want to you know just shut off your brain go to a different world where uh you know where you know exciting things happen and there's these neat stories and you can just get enraptured and you know you you you've, you've given fall in love vicariously you know you can be scared uh and i was just drawn to a very young age I was drawn to movies, drawn to, I remember, um, so I saw the, the original Star Wars and there was like this kind of cathartic moment where um, I'd seen the movies before, obviously, and they just like, they're, you know, these images on this giant silver screen, but watching Star Wars kind of, you know, sort of opened up a door for me where I realized that there, these were actors, they weren't just the people. Uh, someone had written a story that they were saying and that there was a camera involved. And, um, you know, that, that, and, and um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I like to tell stories myself. Um, and that kind of just sort of said, hey, why don't you get a camera and start, you know, make your own little movies. And so, yeah, I made short films. And I was one of those one of those kids all during, you know, grade school, middle school, high school was, you know, always had a camera in my hand, uh, always telling stories. And uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I love film. I love the magic of it. I love that you can transport you anywhere and you can just forget about your problems for just a you know <laughs> little bit of time you know for two hours or so and then and then you know get back into you know the real world but hopefully you know you're you're uh you're in a in a better place and have really enjoyed yourself so so i think that i hope that explains explains it pretty well no, but i mean that, basically spends forever yeah that's a great answer i mean for depending on the length of the movie, you can pretend nothing else exists except for whatever world you're watching on the screen. So, Oh yeah. And, and here's the thing too, is that, you know, there, there's this term called the willing suspension of disbelief. And mm -hmm. it's what I like to say is the trust that an audience places in a filmmaker. I mean, the, the idea is that yes, it's a, it's a, it's a story. It, you know, even with documentaries, there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that you have to use because you're, focusing primarily on the storyteller's perspective of things. But, you know, the, that trust that you place in, in the, the filmmakers, that they're going to make a good movie, that they're going to, you know, that the, the cast is going to be great and the camera work and the sound and the special effects. And so that you actually, you know, kind of forget that it's a movie. And so, I mean, I've seen, I've seen thousands. I've seen, I, I've tried counting once and, and I hit a thousand. I just stopped counting after that point. <laughs> um, but I still, when I go into the theater or when I'm sitting down and watching TV's different, but watching movies, uh, I still can forget that I know how everything's done and I can just sit and I can enjoy the film. And, you know, it's refreshing to be able to do that because, you know, the magic is still there for me. And uh, and hopefully it's there for every for everybody else who's enjoying who's in, who enjoys movies. But but the to be able to do that, to be able to just sort of take a step back and 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 know how it's done, how the magic happens, but still be able to fall, you know, in love with it all over again every single time. I mean, it's 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 I, I'm very fortunate to still be able to, to have that kind of youthful optimism when it comes to watching movies. I bet there's a certain uh, appreciation since you know the how the bacon is made or so to speak um, oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean you yeah, can yeah, tell like i know when I there's know good when writing, writing you know <laughs> <laughs> now uh you said that you've uh done every job there is on a film set i'm assuming choreography and catering as well um, <laughs> not not you know i mean technically when you're a director blocking is choreography yeah. And I mean, there was a film that I did where it was, you know, I, I helped and suggested, you know, what I'd like to see the choreography yeah. being. But let me tell you something. All right. Um, all right. I, I, I craft services. Catering is like, you know, I mean, that's a major deal. You know, usually you bring in some other company, but craft services. So th there's a time, you know, when I was like to dead broke and I was taking every job on a film set. I ended up working on a couple of commercials, like car commercials. And the only job the um, the production manager had, because you know I was regularly calling saying, "Hey, do you have any gigs?" was for doing uh, craft services. And craft services, uh, if you don't know, no. is basically, it's basically all the snacks, all the snacks, on, snacks on, set. on set. It's the beverages. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the most important candy. person on the scene. <laughs> Absolutely, craft yeah. services the most <laughs> important. <laughs> Making sure you get the most premium lunchables for those actors. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, lunchables, yeah, no, lunchables, no, that starts, that starts falling, falling into catering. catering. But, <laughs> oh, okay. 
Yeah, but um, but let me tell you something. You know what? Even though I was doing craft services and I wasn't making a lot of money that day, I still made the best damn craft services table. And those, and you can tell when people really appreciate. Like you have the right beverages, and and even you know, and the right snacks. And you're getting granola bars, and you're trying to shy away from sugar. And it's like you know, uh, you can tell when people are appreciative. And that you know that. You know, focus of detail, or just even that small part of the experience for the cast and crew. You know, has really you know as a producer, you know, because I again I've gotten craft services and I've produced you know feature films. Yeah, yeah. Is it something that you know, making sure that the cast and the crew and the director that they have the most comfortable environment that they possibly can, you know, to be able to create this magic, you know, to build this you know build this world and, and so that's your job as a film producer is to make the you know provide the the, the actors and the director or the crew with everything they need to make the movie and so even that one small part like i pay attention to what our craft services tables look like when i was producing because it's so important like every job on a film set is crucial and i tell my students i do teach producing at asu i tell them i say every every production assistant is crucial Everybody has a job that needs to be done. Everyone has to pull their weight. And even one person can destroy the positive attitude that a crew needs to have. If you've got one negative person, even if it's the craft services, generally craft services is always the best. But like one, <laughs> That's one, what everyone's one, looking forward one, to. One production right? assistant comes that. in <laughs> and they... Um, you know, they, they, they kind of negative, like that, they're like, that's like a cancer on a film set. And as a producer, it's like, your job is to make sure that everybody's in a great mood. And I always tell, tell, tell them that like, if you ever have a crew member, you know, who's, you know, not supportive or, you know, seems to be unhappy, you can tell them it's like, go, you can go out to the car and scream your head off how much you don't like stuff. But if you want to be on this set, you are happy and you are positive and you are supportive because that's what we need for you to be. Cause it's a big team. It's a huge team and every, every job is so crucial. Yeah. And like with, obviously depending on the film you're working on production can last a while. So, I mean, like get, can you give us an idea of like, at least on some of the films you worked on, how long is production from like you're writing the script to when you're in post-production getting ready for release? Like how long can that last? Well, you know, development is, you know, is that's, that's the part where you, you know, get the script and then you go and try and find the money and that can last forever. Uh, this movie that we did uh, just previously, you know, we did the, we did the script uh, back in January and they only were able to start shooting in November because they were getting, the the excitement they were raising funds they were trying to bring it uh, bring in cast so i mean just to get to to um you know pre-production which was about four weeks before then but basically from january to october um you know that was just trying to get the movie going uh the finding money part is the hardest part um you know pre-production you know i think about three to four weeks um shooting is generally like the longest feature i did was i think was 17 days uh these are all all the films i produced are all sub million dollar films um the shortest film i did no it's like 17 i think actually it was three sixes so 18 um and then the shortest one i did was 10 days and that was really hard 10 days is really hard to make a movie so 
but and then post-production you know that's the thing is that you know post-production can take you know four weeks six weeks two months three months so that production time the reason why it's so important for everyone to be on the same page is the shortest amount of time in the entire process oh wow <laughs> it really it, it is, really is. It's quote unquote easy to start filming it once you have the money, but yeah. getting the money is where you start running into issues. It sounds like. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, and and um, you know, so I lived in L.A. and I just was not, you know, was not in the scene. Uh, I wanted to be an indie indie film person, so I came back to came back to uh, to Phoenix, and and you know, that was when the Phoenix Film Festival. You know, we got that started, and it was like. You know, trying to really create an environment for the appreciation of independent film, but you know there was um you know state of Arizona had film incentives you know starting from two thousand five to two thousand ten to be able to attract producers. Uh, I made a movie with those incentives. Um, those have gone away, um, and the industry's been trying to revive them now for over ten years. Mm -hmm. And um, if you don't, if you don't live in a place where people under, understand film production or the opportunities that, you know, that move, that film can, can make money, um, you know, then you, it's an industry that's extremely, extremely hard to be able to work. And so Arizona, like really is like, uh, if, if I honestly, I stopped producing because I just had a hard time trying to find investors here in Arizona. And so, um, I mean, just a bunch of misfires along the way. And so when my um, when my writing partner moved to LA, you know, and we started writing, we were just like, we're not, you know, if we can produce do producing along the way, which is would be great. He directed a feature of a script that we wrote that ended up getting sold to Lifetime, but it's like the, all the money to make movies is in California, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's what. There's a reason why Hollywood is Hollywood. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, but that money that, you know, chasing money thing, I mean, studio like Netflix calls you up, like that's like an amazing, you know, amazing thing when, if something like that happens, but that is not, <laughs> that is not the norm. All right. That's not the norm. That is you going, Oh, thank God we've got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that Netflix movie was really, you know, a, a great sense of just like, you know, working hard and just being sort of that right place, right time, be able to, you know, take advantage of, you know, I always believe that luck is the precise moment in time where skill meets opportunity. And like the net, the movie like that, um, that Netflix, the script that Netflix bought and produced in, in the summer, uh, that was a script that my writing partner and I had written in 2018. And we won a big industry award for it. And it had gone around town and a few people had read it. And it was, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, this is really, really good, but it just doesn't kind of fit. We're not, it's not a good fit for us. And that script basically went on a shelf in 2019. And Netflix was looking for the, 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 the term is contained, you know, because you want to do minimal locations and you want to have a smaller cast because it's just mm -hmm. less expensive to make as a movie. And so um, this the Netflix, the, stu the studio rep called our agent and said, we're looking for a female protagonist led contained supernatural movie. And he's like, here you go. I've got this script here. And they loved it. And so, you know, so the, I mean, that's a th that that was took three years right there to be able to make that happen. Uh, the funny thing, of course, is that after everyone after the film was announced, 
like we got all these calls from all these produce development people in town and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad someone's making that script. That's such a great script. We loved we it love so much. We wish we could have no. done something. <laughs> like, we're like, yeah, yeah really? Yeah, we, we, we wish you had two back then. <laughs> They're you know, just like, oh, we're so happy you got this really great. Cool. You know, right. you could have given us you this great. No, 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 no. That's exactly. besides the point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, but I mean, you know, to get to that point, it's like, you know, we had to, you know, to get our agent was a whole, you know, it was a whole fight too. And, and so, I mean, there's, it's, there's so, there's so many levels, you know, to this industry. And I think, you know, the, the, the thing about it is that 99% of the, the, the world doesn't, know slash care about this industry and how it makes you know how you make the bread they just like to eat the sandwiches <laughs> and so you know when you start getting down into like you know the brass tacks of all things like it's like oh well it's just a business you know at the end of the day it's like every other business it's just that the product it's not less like cars rolling off an assembly line they, they're super high profile with a lot of money and a lot of egos and a lot of you know a lot of all these other things in advance involved which you know uh, it, no one wants to know how they, how they make it this stuff. They just want to go in and enjoy. So it's uh, it's always interesting. It's been a I really crazy <laughs> journey for sure. Guys. Oh, I totally understand. I am in that uh, category of just enjoying the movie for sure. sure enjoying the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of people also enjoy is that there are new sandwiches being, uh, being announced. Yeah. <laughs> that they're hearing that, Oh, they're going to have uh, rye and wheat bread in the next sandwich. <laughs> and that uh, lettuce is signed on for five more movies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's fun. so you know with what you said earlier about just finding funding and stuff in Arizona is that what like inspired you to work on getting the Phoenix Film Festival and Foundation going is yeah like, were yeah. you trying to give like Arizona filmmakers a chance yeah I mean that's the thing is that you know I've, I've known for quite a while and I'm sure all of you know that you work best under deadlines like you need deadlines yeah. <laughs> and filmmakers need deadlines. And so there wasn't really like a real film festival in town uh, when we started that there, there was a couple and, and that I had films that, that got into small short films and, but there was nothing like that was what I would consider to be a major festival. And my, my producing partner at the time had, had, he was a volunteer student volunteer over at Telluride. And, um, you know, it was one of those crazy four in the morning, you know, ideas we were editing the short film <laughs> that I directed and he produced. And I said, gosh, it's really too bad, you know, that there isn't, you know, a festival here in town that we can send this movie to and get it shown. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, wait, I go, well, why don't we start it? <laughs> and it really was one of those ideas, you know, because filmmakers need deadlines. And when you start really unpeeling that onion, uh, audiences need movies, but audiences also need to be aware of and understand how independent film works. And it's not just big studio films, you know, that that are that are making movies you know it's like every you know people with just individual dreams and a credit card and an iphone you know are making are making films and getting their stories out there and you know a lot of them are able to break through a lot of them while you go to the phoenix film festival there's a lot of them that you know you'll never see again um some of them you know you know uh, may end up you know on itunes may end up you know going to um uh, you know, cable stations or you know getting like a theatrical release is like really really tough you know especially when you're an independent film 
Uh, but the awareness of of making movies and uh, making movies at a local level, you know, to me, like that was super crucial. And I really felt like if we had a really good festival, we might be able to encourage people here in Arizona to understand that this was something that could be supported financially. And it, I mean, I've seen it happen numerous times, you know, where people came to the festival, they've come together to make movies uh, where people have come out to the festival and, you know, don't, you know, invested in movies because they, you know, they got it. They understood, you know, what it, what, what it was all about. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, when, with the festival, like we were able to, you know, um, you know, when the film incentives kicked in in 05, we'd already been around for four years. And so we were able to, you know, push, you know, our, you know, our, the, our email people and, you know, our, uh, all of our, you know, all of our friends or Facebook and, you know, be able to, you know, call the capital, you know, we, we had started IFP Phoenix by then, uh, which is a, a, a nationwide um, filmmakers organization. They're the ones who did filmmaker magazine. They also did the Indie Spirit Awards. They do the Indie, Indie Spirit Awards. And so, you know, it's like, we really felt it was important to get create a community for filmmakers, create a place where they could have their films seen. And, you know, we, we, if you've not been to the film festival, it's great. We have these free workshops, you know, and there's panels and Q and A's after each of the films, the filmmakers show up and it truly is an immersive experience. And you walk away going independent film is cool. And it, it drives me crazy. To, I gotta tell you, it drives me crazy when um now when uh, someone you know i'm talking about the phoenix film festival and people are like oh i didn't know phoenix had a film festival and i just want to like just, just i just want to like take like a two by four and just beat it across <laughs> my head until i pass out unconscious because it's like how we've been doing this for 20 years how do you not know sure, that there's a festival i mean seriously yeah. It was like, thanks for that. Really, really appreciate you yeah. just, just dogpiling on what I've been trying to do. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's true, you know. So, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, creating a welcome environment here in Arizona, being able to show filmmakers that there is a place that they can come, where they can show their films, where there's a deadline that they need to make a film and get it into the festival, so that they can actually maybe get it screened. Um, but that you know, I mean, an internal project they're saying, right. Oh, I, I, I've been working on it for the last, Oh God, it's been five years. Right. <laughs> and there's always those films. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I did a film that took over, it took a while, you know, as well, but it's the, the idea that you have to be pushing yourself and that deadline, that filmmaker deadline, that, that late deadline, or, you know, the, 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 don't ever go late on your deadlines, filmmakers, just to let you know, you, you pay a lot more in submission fees to all these festivals. So make the regular deadlines. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I think all of us need that pressure, you know, to be able to perform. And so we were glad to be able to do it. It's been very rewarding watching all the great things happen, all the filmmakers come to town, the collaborations that are made. And it's, it's really just a very special thing. We wish we could do it every, every week, uh, it's 10, it's 11 days now. It's in the end of March through April generally, and, uh, just a really great time. Now, uh, I, uh, you said that, um, there used to be like big film incentives, uh, in Arizona and you said that there, it's still not the case now that, uh, there aren't a lot of just like government backed incentives to film in Arizona. There's like, you know, I think there's like 32 states you know, in the US that have some sort of film incentives to attract production. And yeah. so yeah, from 2005 to 2010, it was built in as a five year program. 
And, you know, it was like, I think it was anywhere from like 15 to 25% tax credits based on in-state spending. So if you spent a dollar um, on, on something in-state, so like Tom Cruise's salary doesn't count, you know, but if you like hire a local actor, like for every dollar you spend, you'd end up getting like 25 cents back in tax credits. Uh, what happened was at the end of that five years, um, the legislator said, okay, well, you know, how much money did this actually make for the, for the state? Because they're offsetting all these tax credits. And so there was a, there was an analysis done by the Goldwater Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with the ultra conservative Goldwater Institute. Um, You you know, the tenet of Republicanism is basically it's, you know, self-sustaining, like government shouldn't be giving out handouts. Mm. And so because of that, um, Goldwater Commission or the Goldwater Institute commissioned this study on the film incentives. And they basically came back and said, well, uh, for every dollar that we gave in tax credits, there was a dollar eight cents that came back. And so like, is that worth it? And to me, it's like, you know what? Eight cents of found money is found money, folks. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, and it's like, but I, I don't know what they were imagining, um, you know, that, you know, the kind of, you know, um, you know, windfall was going to be for the state. Um, but the fact that it wasn't some sort of huge numbers, and again, because, you know, this has been a Republican controlled state for so long, it was kind of easy to be able to sort of slough it off, because you're saying we're not going to support private industry like this, uh, especially um, uh, filmmaking for film production is, is considered like a migrant you know, is migrant industry because it's not permanent. You're not Mm. building a facility. You're not employing people. You know, you're not Intel. You're not building, you know, $70 million factory and you want tax breaks on it because, well, you're going to create 200 jobs. You know, that's not the way that film works. This, this industry works. So it's been a, it's it's a it's a hard road every year they you know not last couple of years because of you know quarantine and covid but they're trying to mount something else for the legislature uh, going in this year and you know I think at at some point you know it, it's going to happen there's going to be something back in the books I don't know if it's going to be tax credits I don't know what it's going to be um but to to create a great environment to make pro- projects here uh, you need to, um, you know, you need to have some sort of incentive. Right now, Arizona is considered by the industry a flyover state, mm-hmm. which means that everyone flies over Arizona to land in New Mexico and go make their movies because yeah. they have a thirty percent tax rebate on every dollar spent. Wow, and I enough. and I feel like a five year period to test that is really short for film, pro- just for film production in general, because. That could just be one movie. Yeah. Or or you okay, at best, yeah. let's say you get one movie a year. Great. You just tested it on five movies when up until that point no one wanted to film in Arizona because you didn't have these incentives. You didn't give people enough time to know it existed. Yep. And also, uh, you know, when they um, commerce with the Arizona, the Department of Commerce actually like went through our files, like they were so diligent because they basically are like looking at receipts, like every receipt, you know, like they would look at to see how much you spent in state for the you know amount you were asking for. And it was a six month process to even get those tax credits. And it was like it was so, and, and a lot of filmmakers were like, oh, my gosh, like it's so hard. And, you you know, my film is already done and I'm still waiting for money to come back. And it's like, I mean, it was a lot. It was it was a lot for the state to take on. But, you know, at the same time, New Mexico did the same exact thing with bigger numbers. 
and look at where they're at right now. They've had governors renew that thing forever. And, you know, they build a they build a 10 soundstage studio called Albuquerque Studios because you can't do TV production without sound stages, which Arizona doesn't have. So when everyone's like, oh, we, well, why aren't there TV shows filming in Arizona? Well, it's because there's no sound stages, folks, because where do you build your interior sets? Yeah, um, yeah. And then so in actually, uh, I think last year or maybe it was a year and a half ago, Netflix actually bought out Albuquerque Studios. So Netflix is paying money to rent their own facility that they're getting the tax money back on, the rebate money back on. And they're double dipping. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, they're that, smart right? and they have the money. Uh, you know, like I said, we're doing, we did a movie with Netflix and, and they certainly, you know, they've got a big vision and want to create a lot of projects. And so more power to them. I mean, they've changed the industry for sure with, the, you know, this you know, streaming is, you know, cha upended, you know, traditional distribution channels, you know. Oh, absolutely. If uh, I remember correctly, here's a little bit lore about me. Uh, Chris and I have been technically, er, in air quotes, working together. His movies sometimes show in the theater that I work at. Um, and I don't know if you or Joe Russo uh, remember uh, me asking. Um, I believe it was you were premiering Au Pair Nightmare, and I think it was under a different name at the time. It was just called The Au Pair. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was, I asked, I think, uh, Joe might've answered, um, like, where was this filmed? And you guys said it was in New Mexico because it was like impossible to like film in Arizona. And, right, right. uh, yeah. And I just, I, I kind of make it like an inside joke here, uh, in the episodes that we record that New Mexico is, uh, basically like just the on-screen Arizona because I believe, <laughs> I believe only the brave, which takes place. In, in uh, 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 the, the town. It up in Prescott, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Prescott. Yeah, 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 Prescott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right Prescott. It was yeah. filmed in, like, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which a lot of uh, native Prescottians and Arizonians were kind of, like, upset about that only the Brave wasn't filmed in Arizona. Well, guess what? There's something you can vote on to make it so it is filmed in Arizona. <laughs> Well, it's not. It's more like calling your representatives when the bill ultimately comes up. We hope, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's just a perfect example. It's like why shoot here when you get thirty-five percent back, you know, in New Mexico, you know. Yeah, we have a fun running gag on our show too about how uh, Arizona's the next Hollywood, uh, based on a film we saw a while back on a B movie. It was. Yeah, there, there. It just there seems to be a few. Like, I'm going to say families that are just dedicated to making Arizona their filmmaking spot. And although what they put out ain't great, they're still putting out stuff. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're in Arizona. This is where we're filming. We're not like the big studios. And it's just, it's kind of funny. It lacks a, lack, uh, lacks a bit of production. But uh, although it, we kind of like say it have sarcastically like i believe like there we are like pretty serious about like wanting arizona oh we, to do. we absolutely do kind of just also being another film mecca uh, to take some glory away from california i suppose <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've had it too good for too long <laughs> well i mean i listen i mean you know california is california but i mean you know they had they had to start their own film incentive too yeah, yeah. right you know to be able to keep production from leaving and going to new mexico uh, and so the uh, script that we that we recently sold um, and they're going they're shooting in L.A. in February, uh, they got a 
bunch of money from the California lottery because it works as a lottery system. Everyone puts in an application basically. And mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of movies that are awarded the uh, annually awarded the, uh, the tax incentive. And so this film, uh, this, this, uh, this film that we wrote um, called Soulmates, uh, they ended up winning half a million dollars in the lottery. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that wasn't reported in the trades. Uh, so you can look that up. But, yeah, I mean, that helped to make that film a reality because they had, you know, they had this incentive that they were able to take advantage of. And that movie wouldn't, I don't think that movie would exist if it hadn't had an opportunity to get some sort of incentive. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you know, making movies is a, is a business and, you know, you, you can have all the best intentions in the world of turning, you know, Arizona into the next Hollywood. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, the reality is, is that it's not, it's not, yeah. it's, it's not. Yeah. And I mean, I, hey, listen, I mean, I, you know, the, my first, you know, three, four movies when I was, was directing um, in the, uh, in the good Lord, 25 years ago, uh, I had the same idea at, you know, Arizona was a, a great place to, to make movies and you can do it. It's non-union. So you can save some money there. And, you know, but it's, it's not a, it's not a question about making the films. It's a question about getting distribution for the films. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I think the, that, and that was a hard lesson that I got on my very first film is that it was all about the passion for making the movie. But ultimately at the end of the day, if you don't have a way to show it to people and even more important, a place where you can make money at this film, then yeah. you're then you're wasting your time. And it's really unfortunate that you, you have to work backwards. You have to you have to go talk to distribution companies and say, hey, this is a movie we want to do. Does this seem like something that you might be interested in distributing if you like it? And it's laying that groundwork first before you even you know spend a dime if you can. Um, you know, if there's, you know, if there's a, if there's films, you know, you shoot a good action movie here, you know, and you take it, you know, you action films are like, you know, not, a, not, I mean, and there have been, you know, films here. I know that that have been lower budget films that already had distribution figured out. Um, and they were able to get and they got, you know, they got made and they got out to the world. And I mean, they're not, you know, 20 million, $50 million movies, you know, but, you know, to, to, to make a movie on a wing and a prayer because you are emotionally, you love films and you have this great story to tell. It just isn't a realistic way to do a business. And again, that's the problem is that, you know, you want to make movies. Movies are awesome. And I with you a hundred percent. I love movies. Um, <laughs> I love making movies. I've been, you know, doing it forever, but it's like at the end of the day, you have to treat it like a business. And, you know, it's like, if you can't, if you make a movie and it doesn't make, money you doesn't at least make your money back like would you throw more money at another project if you if it's not financially viable like the business model you did the last time yeah you know what i mean so it's like so figure you know if you're a filmmaker out there first off stop wasting your time making short films okay because short films teach you the technical aspects of how to make it but figure out a way to do a feature and you you can make low budget features but you got to think like where's the audience going to be like I always tell, and I always tell filmmakers this, and I tell my my students this over at ASU all the time. It's like, you want to make a low budget, you want to make a feature film, and you don't have a lot of money, you go make horror movies. <laughs> Seriously, because yeah. the thing about horror, are y'all horror, horror film fans? 
A hundred percent. Totally. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm the scared one of the group that uh, does his okay. best to watch them. I enjoy them. I'm just... I, I jump scares get me all the time. Oh, listen, me too. Remember that whole, like, willing suspension of disbelief thing I was talking about <laughs> before? I hate horror movies. And it's funny because my sister's like, why are you writing horror movies because you don't <laughs> like, them? like them? And I said, <laughs> I go, because money. it's horror films that sell. Yeah. Exactly. And as you, as you all know, if you're horror fans, the thing is this. Do you need a star to be in a horror film for you to go see it? Not really. No. Nope. nope. The only reason that you'll, you'll go see a horror film because you love horror movies. Yeah. And you doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you can scare an audience with your film, it's going to be successful. Yeah. Especially if you can promise teenagers, Hey, we'll scare your girlfriend. So she hugs you. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's, it's like, like horror films. If it's a good horror film is bulletproof. Like you make a good 65, $75,000 feature horror film that's really really good like you can do something with that if it's really good you know what i mean like yeah if you do have good jump scares you got a great story you don't have to have you know these big stars which big stars cost money and that's what raises budgets and once you have a star like you have big like it and it's just little things along the way like well if i want to say bring in an actor to do this you know even do like a cameo a lot of people do that they do stunt casting where they have a role for someone they come in for like two days or three days um the bruce willis movie that we did uh we went out to cincinnati and he was there for two days on that shoot but for those two days he had to be limoed around he had to be he had to stay at the best hotels um he got paid a lot of money um just for his motorhome like motorhomes are like 700 dollars a day to rent a good motorhome um so it's like all these hidden costs that are involved in bringing in like notar- n- you know, notable actors is just more things that kind of hit your film and hit your film and hit your film. And they're the costs that you don't even think about. But so it's like good horror film, no name cast. I mean, if you think about some of the more successful lower budget horror films, I mean, you know, look at like, you know, I, I you know, you the look at, you know, like, you know, Evil Dead, you know, Bruce Campbell was no, yeah. was it was yeah. you know evil that you know even movie like hostile like saw like i mean the original the, the five million dollar version of saw as opposed to the short film you know i mean that was carrie elways right yeah yeah you know like oh the guy from princess bride you know <laughs> and was, even and even saw like it, 90 to almost 100 percent of the movie takes place in one room when like what it's like a yet contained small 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 cast that's a that's a big thing you know i mean that you know producer are looking for because they don't want people don't want to spend a lot of money on movies if they don't have to yeah, because yeah. It, but if you make a good i mean this you know that that hard kill movie i think it was like a maybe 10 million dollar budget but that thing went all over the world you know i was i was getting emails you know i've got you know, some my facebook people were like were, were like responding like they were sending me pictures of the like saudi arabian version of the poster <laughs> and i'm like that's crazy you know and it was just like you know but i mean there's nothing better than like going to you know going to a um going to like the target or whatever and seeing like your movie on the stuff like on the shelf it's like that's that's pretty cool you know like that's really cool oh, I mean- so, I mean, big congratulations that it got distributed so much. That's huge. But when oh, yeah, it, but the, com- yeah, when it but comes the- to movies getting distributed that much, 
obviously criticisms come with it. And I'm curious <laughs> as a filmmaker, how do, uh, how do you respond to criticisms? Do you even look at them? Oh do my you gosh. Kind of laugh at them. Do you, well, how, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. So you know what? Hard kill is a great example to talk about this. <laughs> we're, we're totally not leading you into a trap. <laughs> Where I swear, first off, have you seen the movie? I apologize. Oh, we, oh yeah, we, we, we definitely saw we, that movie. We watched Au Pair Nightmare and Hard Kill as our pre-research for... Well, I would hope that you liked Au Pair Nightmare a lot better than Hard Kill. Oh, we actually oh, we, did. We, we, some... we had a blast watching it, actually. Was... Legitimately, probably the best Lifetime movie I've ever seen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, I mean, when we wrote that, it was like, we're going to, you know, sort of check the boxes of what they expect. Then we're going to like <laughs> throw in a twist because there's a, like, there's certain, like, you know, the way that those, those movies are, and, and it was shot independently and then bought by Lifetime. It wasn't made for Lifetime. Um, but you know, like there's the way act breaks go, like where they're going to put the commercials in, like, you know, you map that out. Um, and you know, we, in my writing partner wrote, directed that. And we had, I mean, in that movie, like that was the original vision, you know, and when you're a director and when you're writing, directing, like that's how you make sure that your uh, original vision stays, stays true. Uh, with Hard Kill, it's actually really kind of, well, I don't want to say it's funny because it was actually kind of sad. But what happened was, is that we turned in our draft. Uh, how much in detail do you want me to go in on this story? Oh, if you can as go as much as you, as you want, want to. This is exclusive. This okay. is juicy. <laughs> so when the script got optioned, and understand that, so I don't know if you're familiar with the way script sales work, is that basically a uh, script is never just usually bought outright. It's optioned. It's like a lease to purchase. Like, we're going to give you some money, and then uh, you know, we've got a year to basically do something with it. And so they optioned this, this movie, and the original you know budget at the time was about maybe $20 million. Like we made, like we went all in on this. It was this huge movie, <laughs> this AI cyborg. Uh, we had, we had tank, we had uh, invasion of a European, Eastern European country. We had Russian tanks rolling through the streets. We had, oh, yeah. it was, wow. we had a drone attack, like thousand drone attack on, oh, on the town. It the was really been awesome. And these that guys were like, rad. it was super great. great. It was super great, and so um, would you. Would you replace one Bruce Willis for all of that? <laughs> well, what happened? <laughs> a year, like so, a year passed, and they came back, uh, and we're like, generally at the end of the year, like the the option comes back to the writers, and they re-optioned it again, and we're like, wait, wait, like what's going on? They're like, we're trying to put some things together, we've got some ideas, and we're like, okay, okay, and so we wait, and we waited another year. And we're finally like, or oh, it was another six months. And then we, they were like, all right, so the option is going to be up again. They renewed it again. And we're like, what's going on? And like, we really <laughs> want to make this movie. We mm -hmm. really, really want to make this movie. But we, we have to put some things in place. We're got, we've got some things that we want to need to work around. So we're like, all right, all right. So, you know, they, you know, they give you more money, which is fine. <laughs> and then one day they like called up and they're like, we're, we're going to really make your movie. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're like over the moon. And then they said, but the budget is a lot smaller than <laughs> we wanted to do with it. And we know what you wanted to do. And we're like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, so you need to um, strip this thing down and make it more of a contained film and lose the tanks and lose the thousand drone attack and lose the cyborg. And we're like, okay, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, we, so, we, so we did a pass on that. 
And they came back again. They're like, guys, this is it's still too much. And we're like, what do you what do you mean? They're like, we want you to contain this movie. We want it to be like the raid. We want it to <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> one location. And we're like, oh, oh you like, wish. Like, what? So we're like, all right. Um, so the way we figured it out, we figured it out was you know, we're like, okay, so we had the the when you know the Bruce Willis role, and we yeah. basically were like, okay, well, and they said we might. They said, we think we might get Bruce Willis to be in this movie. Oh. And they're like, but you would only be in for a couple of days to so figure out what you want to do with him. And we're like, okay, we're like, <laughs> okay, great. He'll play the billionaire tech guy. <laughs> and so what we did was when we wrote the script out, it was like really cool because there were basically one location with just him in his office, you know, in this penthouse, uh-huh. um, you know, skyscraper <laughs> office. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. iPadding in, you know, so he's not going anywhere. He's iPadding in. While these like they're they're the 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 pair the the military contractors are going in, they're trying to steal the AI, and he's like mm-hmm. just checking in with them. And we're like, oh my, and we're like, it's perfect, perfect, perfect. And um, they came back, and they said, Bruce needs to shoot a gun. <laughs> <laughs> we want Die Hard the hardening. They said, if you want Bruce in this movie, we need to have a shot of Bruce shooting a gun to put into the trailer <laughs> okay i was about to ask was that just for like a poster shot or for a trailer they said write a scene so that bruce willis shoots somebody and we're like well how are we gonna do that and so then we like okay so then we were like okay let's have terrorists simultaneously go to their headquarters and go in this raid like warehouse so we wrote this head up bruce and it was great so you know bruce is you know playing this billionaire and basically he has to you know save everybody again but he's in the skyscraper and he's doing this thing and our my favorite scene that joe and i wrote was awesome we're like we got to play up a couple of things so one thing is we you know his character was just this tech billionaire and we're like well how do you get him to with a gun and so what we did was that we created like part of his backstory is he went to one of those ceo security camps yes and you know it's like and you can see there are little seeds that are still in the original version of that because at like one time like you know the the miller gives him the gun he goes do you know how to shoot that thing and he's like yeah 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 of course i do you know and and he's supposed to fumble with the gun in our movie (laughs) but not in what what it ended up being on screen and so so we were trying to play against type and then my favorite 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 was that the Miller actually had a daughter in the in one of the versions of the script, and so they're trying to he's trying to find a place for her to hide because the terrorists are coming in, and so he looks up and there's an air conditioner vent, and I'm like mm. and he's like go <laughs> go up in the air conditioning vent, and she goes, do you think I could fit in the air conditioner vent? He's like, oh, I know you can. Hey, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, and we're like most awesome joke ever because it totally <laughs> sends up everything get what well, guess what line got caught oh <laughs> that entire thing yeah yeah basically now do you remember there's the scene in the tower when he sends his daughter running away yeah yeah and then uh yeah so that that was where the air conditioner event was supposed to be and they got rid of that they just cut the joke and that was the, that was one of the criticisms that we heard about the movie is like there's nothing there's no it's just straight there's like no jokes there's nothing in there and you know there's no humor because that's the best thing about die hard you know i i um 
as you know, when we showed Die Hard over over at the theater, uh, you know, we talk about how when John McTiernan wanted to do Die Hard, he wanted to make sure it had a sense of humor. That's why you've got the terrorist who reaches in, gets the crunch bar while he's waiting for the police to attack, you know, and you've got all mm-hmm. of, you know, John McClane's quips. So, like, there's none of that in there. What we discovered um, when they came back and said, lose the other tower. It's just taking place in one building. <laughs> we had to bring the Bruce Willis character in, and that's how he ends up trading you know, trades himself and the daughter and it just, you know, it's that whole convoluted thing. Uh, I will, I will say, um, I'm going to say one more thing there. I could just talk about this movie forever. Um, <laughs> so we're like, so they, they finally said, or we're making this movie and they announced a date and Bruce Willis signed on. Uh, and we're like, Oh, we were just jazz. And so we knew Bruce was going to be there for two days. And so we're like, we are, I said, we are flying out to Cincinnati because Ohio has some amazing tax incentives as well. We're going to go out there. We're going to meet Bruce Willis. Because, I mean, come on now, right? right. Yeah. 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 Who's, who's not going to do that, you know? So I have the opportunity. It. I'm going to abuse it. I'm going <laughs> to, if I'm, if I can get to shake Bruce Willis's hand, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happened was we get down, we, we went to Cincinnati and the director's there, and we had turned in our last draft to the script in like november and so they're shooting in like mid-january and so we got um we're on set and the first we were there the first scene for bruce willis's first scene and they basically like they when they're introducing him in the and you see the the, it's the scene in the limo yeah Yeah. just an awkward awkward limo (laughs) yeah where miller and the well first off that was supposed to take place in the corporate headquarters yes yeah okay which would have been amazing but instead um when so when he sits down he goes uh it's such a pleasure to meet you you know a ground and pound ground and pound marine yeah <laughs> turn yeah. into a tech who became a tech billionaire i mean your, <laughs> your story's amazing and joe and i look at each other and our jaws dropped oh, <laughs> yeah we're like oh my gosh what just what just happened and what had <laughs> happened was that they were too cheap to come back to us for a rewrite and the oh. director had rewritten like over half the movie oh wow to where our names probably wouldn't have been like front and center on the on the movie and so we're sitting there and and it got even worse like so the thing is is that you know when you you know so we turn the draft well we weren't able to actually see the production draft all right but they do a thing called sides when you show up in the morning you get a a, a, like the all the pages that are going to be shot that day so actors Mm -hmm. can look at it and see okay this is the scene we're doing next and okay i can remember my lines from here and so we got the sides and we started going through it and we're like oh my gosh like the changes were numerous and we're like okay so we're like all right so we're kind of dealing with that reality and then we saw one of the supporting actors and he's in the movie uh he's like the computer guy oh yeah yeah dash Dash, yeah yeah. guy and i love i love i love writing for those kind of wacky side supporting characters because you can have so Mm -hmm. much fun with them as opposed to the ground and pounds marine (laughs) turned tech billionaire tech billionaire yeah. um and so so we're talking to him and we're like 
oh man like we're so i told him that we're so happy that you're here and joe's like oh my gosh we had such a fun time writing your character it's like oh yeah it was great we're like isn't it great how you get the girl in the end and he looks <laughs> and he's like yeah he's like yeah i mean like yeah we wanted to completely go against type like everyone expects like you're the you know the the cacker guy is not going to get the girl and he's like ah nice meeting you guys oh. and we're like what is going on here and so we got a copy of the sides for the next day. And the director had completely rewritten act two and act three. Jesus. Oh, that explains a lot though. Cause yeah. I was like, this guy has a one note about him knowing about technology and then that's it. <laughs> and uh, I believe like, yeah, throughout the, I don't know uh, how true it is to your vision. Uh, Dash throughout the entire movie was like kind of just a, a jerk asshole <laughs> I, I mean like he got a, a drunk guy to try to hit on uh, ava marie's character oh yeah no, no we we did that no that okay. was yeah, okay yeah that one made sense <laughs> that, that was yeah, funny but, like okay so but that scene is 85 percent us okay okay but, uh, but yeah, if you look no, at no it it's one of the few scenes that actually has a sense of humor in the whole movie yeah you know, I, I we we laugh, but I feel bad. It almost sounds like you're talking about an abusive ex girlfriend you had. <laughs> the um, yeah. So that so it, it was just it was really surprising, and then it, just the way, um, the, I remember when we watched the film because of course we only saw the first two two days and got the uh, advanced the pages for the day three, and then we left. And then there's like when the hacker girl shows up in the movie. Yeah, one hacker partner. Yeah, yeah, the partner. For the partner, yes. Um, so literally, that character shows up out of nowhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was wondering that. I was like, "Which nowhere?" And we're like, "Where did that person come from?" Oh, and then all of a sudden, there's suddenly cameras just yeah. everywhere that she can hack into. <laughs> right. Well, in the movie, in the script, it was like there were cameras already, and the partner actually says go ahead and restart those all up because I want to be able to watch everything. But that line yeah, yeah. didn't make it because you need, you need a script. <laughs> and, then, and then she, and then she like runs away at the end and we're like, Oh God, I, I love that. <laughs> I was so confused by that part. I was like, wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> and, 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 but at the end, at the end of the day, it's this, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some people who enjoyed the film. Not a lot. Okay. Not yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about reading reviews, I knew, knew exactly what you guys were looking for. Okay. <laughs> is that that film is considered one of the worst movies like ever. And it was that I, I'm Joe and I are reading that going, Oh my gosh, because people are blaming us. <laughs> and that is the worst part about yeah. that experience. Yeah, is that, yeah. Like our names are on, on the screenplay, even though basically the director completely gutted our script. So it's like, you know what? You can't control what people think about the work. You just mm -hmm. have to do the work, you know, ultimately at the end of the day. And what I reminded Joe, because Joe and I, I remember when that first scene where Willis is talking and we look at each other, we're like, oh my gosh, what happened? I just took a step back and I said, Joe, let's just think about this, okay? There's about 60 people that are here on this set right now. None of them would have jobs if it wasn't for us. Yeah. And when you start thinking about stuff like that, and it's like, okay, so you know what? And of course, we didn't. Ex I mean, we didn't expect it to be like the number one movie over thing <laughs> right, a year ago. Yeah. 
uh, number one in the in in the in the in the United States and for it to go everywhere. And because of quarantine, I think it got even more exposure. Yeah, than yeah. It should have. Um, but you know what? Ultimately, you know, I I say that in the industry, like people know about what those kind of movies are. The fact that the film got made from a script that we wrote yeah, and yeah. has Bruce Willis in it, like that actually is credibility for us. Yeah, that's a you big know, accomplishment in and of itself. Even if it got so deviated from what you wanted, it's yeah. so great that it even got made. It made, got made and we got paid for it, which was great. You know, I mean, you know, so, I mean, yeah, that was rough. And we, you know, we kind of, have, you know, it's one of those things like you just sort of have to take it on the chin. And you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, you can't, you know, people are going to like the work or they're not going to like the work. And you can't control that because everybody has their own opinion and their own taste. But there are people who do like the film. Uh, my my uh, my son uh, and my daughter particularly do not like the film. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. In fact, my daughter is pretty much embarrassed by the entire idea of the film. And we told her at one point that there was going to be a sequel, and she said, "Nobody wants that." <laughs> How old are your kids? She was the, she was 14 at the time. <laughs> yeah, that... nobody wants that um so she needs uh, to watch yeah, the but, um, it's, like, it, it, but it's like you can't control that stuff you just have to continue to you know do the work and keep doing the work and hopefully you know it is a right fit for a lot of people you know i mean we've got like au pair like you know a lot of people really like au pair au pair is joe's um directorial sample you know yeah, we're yeah. pitching mm -hmm. in the studios with one of the scripts that we've that we've written that that is get is going out um you know the and and we actually used the original version and it was called open source. Um, and uh, we use that as a writing sample for people who are looking for action movies and sci-fi movies. We don't use the, what it ended up being. So it's, you know, it's, you know, from the business, you know, it's not like we were, you know, sitting on piles of money, like Scrooge McDuck when that movie got, <laughs> you know, got, right. got released to the world. You know I mean? That's not the, the screenwriter's place at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, People got paid, people worked. And, you know, even if it was a, you know, here's the thing is that I always remind my students is that this, okay? If you don't like a movie 20 minutes in, it's not getting any better, folks. <laughs> okay? It's not like some magical, you know, like wheel is going to turn and suddenly it all pops into place and makes perfect sense. And if so, if you sat through hard kill for longer than 20 minutes, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay? Because you you know you 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 get in 20, 25 minutes and you start seeing the paintball splats on the wall instead of actual book bullet ricochet. Yeah. And, you get four, and then you get forty minutes in and you see the night vision scene <laughs> that takes place in bright sunlight. That takes place in bright daylight. My son was shocked by that um of course when it was written it was supposed to be taking place downstairs in the basement but i guess everyone didn't read the scene heading and then the other thing i, I also I, loved the uh blood spurt pngs they would just put over the people when they got hit uh, those were also great uh, <laughs> my son's favorite part and and uh is was when in the opening scene he's like is that video game cut footage in his dream sequence and if you watch just watch that opening scene you're like oh my gosh that's like from a video game the, yeah the marine flashback he had so uh yeah complete uh yeah you know what but um there's there's isn't there better stuff for us to talk about today? <laughs> oh, i do have one more question before we move on to the next movie really quick though the golden gun whose, whose decision was that 
for the partner to have a golden handgun. Okay, that wasn't us. That was <laughs> I'm glad because I was confused about that. She was stunting throughout the whole movie. But you know what was really cool though? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it up to them. Was the Rubik's Cube. You know, like you saw the partner just kind of playing with that Rubik's yeah. Cube, and we're like, that is a cool beat. Like that's a cool little beat. Yeah, that that's was cool I, that was that was a nice little thing. That was nice, and that was not us. We're like, oh yeah, someone really like I don't know if the actor or the director came up with that. Um, you know, but it was like we're like, I like that. I like I like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And yeah. I mean so we can go on a happier note. Oh, pair nightmare was yeah. great. We had a blast watching yeah. that one. We it we was, lost our minds at certain points. It was so it much was, fun. It was so. And actually, something that you brought up earlier, and Kevin mentioned it when we saw, because we rented it through Amazon Video, and we saw yeah. those built-in like commercial break commercial break fade outs and fade ins. We thought that was a lifetime decision. Like, they're like, hey, at these points, set in these breaks so we can do commercials. But you mentioned you built that into the script. Like, literally, you just cut between yeah. those scenes. <laughs> and then it just fades You know what back. I mean? Like, that, you know, yeah. but when Lifetime bought it, because, again, you know, and it's really a, it's really a, um, a page structure thing. So it's like, from basically, when you, when you watch one of those movies, from the minute one up until about mid, mid, minute 20, is the first is the first yeah. section of every one because then they take you to, to the break which takes you through the through up to the half hour and then right after the half hour picks up again for like another 12 minutes and so we knew that they were they wanted to sell it to tv so we kind of staged that but it's like it's the same thing like when when film first started you know it's like 10 minute reels so like everyone yeah. kind of knew like at the end of 10 minutes like there was generally going to be some sort of scene break like in actual you know filmed them and so that that was kind of a, a a rule of thumb you know when they first did you know cinema in the early in the you know 40s and 50s and 60s and stuff um but yeah i mean it's like you want to end those scenes you know with a with with a reason to stick around and so um so we did and i mean but the beats are all like the beats are all good like it, it all fits together it was very polished no, we we uh we had running bets on like what the twists were. Yeah. And one of the ones that was, uh, I think it was either Kevin or myself just kind of like made it off passing. Like, okay, there's going to be like some level of like a threesome going on or something between <laughs> or. <laughs> and when, and when it got to that scene where they're like, dancing and like yeah. hey you want to join us we're all like we lost it oh fuck and oh then, shit and then they're in the kitchen together and then she's like and she's totally cool with it and we're just like oh no we we could yeah. not we literally jumped up from the couch we're like holy shit they did it they made it happen how was this lifetime oh shit <laughs> and then and you're like oh no yeah <laughs> But well, I, you know, I, the, the natural inclination for a movie like this is if you see a movie called The Au Pair and then Lifetime ended up adding Nightmare to it, because yeah. like that plays better, that that reads more sensational, is that it's the au pair in your head. It's an au pair who comes into a couple's home with a kid and she sleeps with the husband and yeah. and then right. chaos ensues. That's and we're like, the like cookie cutter story. Right. right. And we're like, we are not making that movie. 
So we, yeah, there's all kind of inferences and stuff. And it's like, oh my God. And like the, 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 the dance scene, like Joe, when he directed, like he had a great time with that. And the actors had a great time with that. Um, but yeah, like that was never what this movie was supposed to be about. It's all supposed to be like, yeah, it's all supposed to be suspense. Like what you're tr- trying to figure out what is going on. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I, what I, I, is I, really I, happening here? Yeah. I, I was a little sad when I found out our, um, the, uh, grocery delivery guy, uh, he was killed Luke. off at uh, yeah. Yeah, Luke. I was you're like, like yeah, the, the au pair, like she and him are going to get together. And you're like, yeah. what? What's he, going he would... on here? I think I named him the Whole Foods Delivery yeah, whole, Boy. Whole, Fo- whole Foods Luke. <laughs> he, he was the MVP of the movie that sadly didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's funny, though, about that is that actually that character is named after my son. Uh, he came in my he joe and i so joe and i worked through the internet and he comes in one day and he's like dad i want to be i want you to name a character after me in the movie (laughs) we're like like, all right just to let you know (laughs) it's a very small cat there's not a lot of characters i go the only one we could what only character is the grocery kid who gets murdered he's like i'm cool with that so I was waiting for you to not tell him he gets murdered and then just turn to your set and go, this is what happens when I name characters after you guys. <laughs> I kill them all. Yeah, you know, no, but his, you know he, he was like, he didn't care. He just, and so it's like, it's, it, you know, it's a super funny joke in the family when the, we watch the movie, you know, and like when he first appeared on screen, he goes, I'm named Luke, like everyone in the theater, you know, was like, Luke, because they all knew <laughs> it was after him. But I yeah, it's like, all these fault, you know, you're dropping all these red herrings and stuff specifically because you, we want to play against type. It's just like that Bruce Willis thing, you know, like you can't do what people expect because that's boring, you know? And if you, if you change it up, that's what makes things special. And that's what we wanted to do as writers on that. I know I was super happy at first and then super mad at myself that I fell for the first red herring about like her maybe kidnapping Brad's kid. And that's why they're hiding. Because super early in the movie, I'm like, I'm calling it. They are rich people who she had. No, she was with Brad, and then she's like, No, you're not having our kid. And then just left with him. And Brad's been trying to get his kid back. And then when it, she said that, I'm like, Yeah, I'm right, I'm right. And then it, and then the twist is like, Oh no, that's not what happened at all. I'm like, Damn it! They got me, son of a bitch. Brad doesn't even know who they are. We, we had a lot of. You're listen. You're not the only one. We so we when when it actually premiered on Lifetime, we like we were watching. We were following the Twitter feed. Uh-huh. And yeah. I'd be like, there's always the inevitable girl. Why are you in the house still? <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> We were joking and really hoping that there would just be an out of place cut to Brad doing absolutely nothing at his house, just like reading a book. And then he's like, he looks up and he's like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to go out tonight. Let me call the guys. And then it just cuts back to the insanity at the house, just to show that like, he has no idea what the fuck is going on here and he's nothing to do with it. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, and Joe and I still fight about it because it's like in my head when we wrote 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 it out um we um like the like she never even saw like she saw brad brad was in the town she never got with brad yeah you know what i mean 
but then when I was on on set, um, I was talking to the the lady who played Alessandra, and she was great. And I said, "So you know, Joe and I have this ongoing discussion. I'm like, do you do you think that you actually did sleep with Brad?" She's like, "Oh yes, totally." So I'm like, "Oh okay, great." And in my head, I'm like, "You are so wrong, but I don't care because <laughs> yeah. because you're doing great job in this movie." Because the fact that you think your character slept with Brad works with the story. <laughs> that and that's what the whole movie's about. Exactly, you know, um, it's it it is about obsession, um, you know, and but it's not in the obsession that you think. I mean, and you know, we um, and, and that's why like uh, we had such a good time with Alessandra's, uh, you know, like the monologue, like the dialogue during the job interview. But to me, like, and if you remember, like the act break at the end um, of the of the twenty minutes, that is her the little girl being locked in her room do you all remember that yeah, yeah. Oh, i thought she was a serial killer <laughs> i <laughs> on the outside yeah, I, I, like what is going on here i thought the daughter was like a serial killer so like i thought they had to keep her like away from <laughs> other children or she, something she was like, like bipolar and she had a psycho side they're like we gotta lock her up if if if, if you're not constantly as a viewer asking yourself what is what's happening what's going to happen next like you want to know like that is the essence of good story like yeah, you are yeah. so bit so you're so in and you're like i just go out to see what happens i just and it was really funny like there's this i remember on twitter like at the end of the movie there was this guy just like you guys who was on and watching the film and he's live tweeting like oh you know oh this is how it's going to end and then he's like oh okay oh now i know what's going to happen and at the end he finally goes back he goes guys you got me <laughs> no the, the red hairs were real in that film i was like oh man i i felt for i think like a, a solid like four of them i think yeah and it was like and the writing was compelling enough and like the way that the actions played out is that like it was because there are some movies where the red herrings are obnoxiously obvious yeah where it's like okay they want you to think this. That's obviously not what is going to happen. But here, like, you have no reason to believe anything else, and uh, unless you're like rewatching it and paying attention to little stuff, you have every reason to believe the red herrings. Yeah, but are then true. you added little things, like the daughter subtly saying, "Like, I don't actually sleepwalk." I'm like, does she actually like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or calling like, or saying the boogeyman when they're like, "No, the boogeyman is real," but like the daughter. I, I think, like, the daughter subconsciously knows, no, Brad's not an actual threat. You're just fucking insane. <laughs> so oh, there was, like, uh, so many things. Yeah, That was yeah, a fun great. one, though. Uh, okay. I did have one other question just in general for, uh... So have you ever gone through, like, uh... Writer's block? And, like, how do you go about, like, dealing with that? Oh, wow. I mean, I think, you know, it's not like a question of writer's block. It's a, it's, it's more like a question of like, we know when we want to, you know, do a story. Like we know, like we've got some themes and ideas. Um, we always have stuff that we're kicking around, but it's a question of just sort of like the big thing at the end of the day that we've discovered is that movie that there has to be a bigger theme to the story. And so that always has been kind of um, a challenge for us uh, to make sure that the, you know, like, so like I talked about like uh, obsession, 
with um you know with all pair so it's like you know because you dive in deep you really lean on that theme and something i teach my students too is like you have to have there has to be some sort of bigger thing it just can't be a story you know what i mean um and so um the um you know like so i i mean uh the hard kill movie like one of the big themes is is money because the whole thing about is you know miller is basically they're taking the job you know we're, we're all going to get paid it's going to be a great payday and it's all you know it's always about the money with him and then you know ultimately at the end of the day it's like you know the money isn't important it's obviously everybody else's you know everybody else's the lives that are the most important thing but a lot of that got diluted you know with, with what the movie ended up being so mm-hmm. It's like okay, we come up with an idea. So like, there's a there's a there's a couple of scripts that we have right now, a couple of ideas that we're kicking around right now because we're we're about to go into rewrites on the script that we just sold. Um, but it's like so we we're always percolating with new ideas because you always have to keep writing, guys. You always yeah, have to. Yeah. It's like a muscle. You just have to keep doing it. And it's like oh well, here's like we know we want to have like the sort of again contained movie producer looking for these smaller smaller cast movies. You know, but it's like, well, what's it going to be, you know? And so we, you know, we, you know, is it, you know, in politics is always really good, you know I mean? So you're always trying to find, you know, something that people can latch onto and cause you just don't want to tell a story. Like, you know, the, the theme is what motivates characters, motivates characters, mis- decisions, you know, and it's, and so to be able to elevate, we want to elevate and you will have to elevate your films and elevate your stories. You guys can't tell a story. And if it's not about something more than just the characters running through a plot, then you're not doing it right. So I think that's, to me, that's been the big challenge. And, you know, cause I, I'll pitch a story and Joe's like, yeah, but what is it really about? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's good. Like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to write explosions. <laughs> I mean, cause you're like, oh, you know, here's this and they do this and this, you know? And it's like, yeah, but it's like, what's going to make this pop? What's it going to make it special? Because there are, there are thousands of people writing scripts. You know, mm-hmm. there's thousands of scripts running around LA every day, you know, but it's like, how do you elevate your material to make it, it not the cookie cutter, not the yeah. thing that everyone expects? Because I mean, a script is just a movie's resume. That's all it right. is. So you got to make the employers who are the producers, distribution people be like, I want this one because of this yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, we, we talked to like there were producers who just who who had read the original version and then seen Hard Kill. And they're like, we want to meet with you because we know how good your writing is. It's not about that movie. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. You know, because I mean, everyone knows it's like, you know, the screenwriters, you know, it's supposed to be like one of the, you know, it's it's just a, a it's the baton. They we create the baton, but then it gets handed to the producer uh-huh. who then, uh-huh. you know, gives notes and then it goes back to the producer and then the producer gets the director and the director gives notes and then we send it back to the director and then the director gives it to the cinematographer and, the, you know, it goes on and on. And, and, you know, the creative filtration, you know, has gone so far, you know, than what the original version is. Um, you know, but I mean, that's the magic of the collaboration of movies too. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you can't be an island when you make the, when you, when you make a film, even a small, even small movies, lower budget movies. I mean, you, you're not operating in a vacuum, you know, you need to be collaborative. You need to work with people. So, yeah. so yeah. So yeah. So the answer your, your, your question is that, um, uh, I don't think it's, it's not, I don't, it's, I don't think it's like a, a writer's block thing. Cause you're always looking for ideas. You're always looking for ideas, but when it comes to, and what you do is, is that it's not a question of just diving into the script. So we spend, you know, like two to three weeks basically breaking down like every scene in the movie, what has to happen in this scene. And we, it's called, and we basically outline it. It's not like an outline. It's like a narrative of every scene and every beat in the movie. And if you are, if there's any um, screenwriters out there 
that are interested in in writing or if you're a new screenwriter i don't know if you you've all are interested in, in doing in doing right like writing features or something oh yeah i've got a feature and a couple short films i've written already have you have you read save the cat i haven't yet okay so you have to read save the cat because uh save the cat is basically t- talks about uh it's a, it has the beat sheet are you familiar with the beat sheet? yes i am okay so blake snyder is the one who came up with the with the beat sheet and you really get a sense of when we especially when you read the book is like that's where it's when you're talking about cookie cutter it's the emotional beats of a story mm-hmm. that are the things that are important i always recommend you know you can certainly read screenplay by sid field because everybody reads that to understand structure you know and there's robert mckee you know with his book too but it's like save the cat for like that like so the first thing we do is we come up with a pitch come up with a log line and boom we write the beat sheet out and from the beat sheet then we're able to go and start working on this outline, which will take us, you know, two weeks, three weeks. And then that outline, we send that around to our friends, to our manager, to our agent. They all give us input. We go back to it, do another pass on the outline. Then after everyone says like, that's great. Well, then we go to actual screenwriting, but it's like that process. That's the long process. Cause once you've written like a really good outline, um, then the writing part's pretty easy. And it's just sort of like coming up with the dialogue and how you propel go from scene to scene. Right, because you got the main structure already there. You're that's just putting details. That's that the easy part. I just want to get my phone in the door. <laughs> well, that so yeah, I mean, not... that's tough. That's a whole other thing trying to get your foot in the door. Is it reasonable to say that, uh, like, you have a bunch of just pre-written scripts and uh, just uh, screenplays that you've written just to hand out to prospective like producers or distributors if they're looking for a specific genre or flavor that they're looking for? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, you know, we, they, they're called, they're called work samples or writing samples. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, but what, but basically like, so when we first, when we first started writing, we, we wrote, we're writing because we had like investors that, that were interested in doing a movie here. And so that was like Joe and I right, sat down and started and started writing together because he was going to direct and I was going to produce. And so we were writing the script together. And um, so we wrote that. That project fell apart. But like every script, like if it you, Ryan, you could always send it to someone to take a look at. Oh, okay. You know, so what happened with us, like how we got how we got, um, it, you know, basically like got on, on track. So it's like, first off, if you want to be a writer, you have to move to L.A. You can't write in Phoenix and expect to get anyone in LA to read your stuff. So you have to go to LA and you have to start meeting people. So Joe moved to LA. I stayed here because I was teaching. And so Joe went there. And basically what happened was we just kept writing. And at one point, um, so we wrote the script that, I, I, are you familiar with the final draft big break contest? Uh, I've heard of it, but I don't know that much about it. Well, you know, Final Draft is like the industry software for script writing. Yeah. Every year they have a a script contest uh, called Big Break. And so we wrote this really great script. It was a, we basically, it's called Road Rage, which I'm so proud of this movie. It's such a B movie though. Uh, (laughs) Basically about, it's, it's basically about this guy who cuts off the wrong guy in traffic and mayhem ensues. (laughs) <laughs> and and we, and you know, like you know you know you never we purposely like never showed the driver of the other car just drove a Dodge Charger so it was like kind of shades of duel and then we were really pissed off when that really bad Russell Crowe movie showed up about three years ago I I was about to say I'm like did you write that I, like, oh, no. I was about to ask I'm like did it get optioned because like 
That exact movie, I know for a fact I saw it. <laughs> oh, but ours was so ours is more like hollow. It was more like a straight horror film. Okay, you know, okay. as opposed to this psychological. You know, like I said, you never saw you never saw the driver. That was that was like we were really insistent about that because that then it it all goes away. You know, if you start, you know, if you see what you know Jason's real face looks like, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like you're you know, unmasking the villain. Um, so that script, the, the is mystery, is what makes it scary, right? So that script actually finished in the top. So they have they're usually about seven, eight thousand scripts that get submitted to the big break contest. And so we finished with that script in the top ten for horror for horror suspense. Nice. And so we felt really, really good about it enough to where like Joe is at a party. This is how it works, and he met a director. <laughs> and this guy's like, "Oh, I you know you I like you. You're really cool. What do you do? You're like, oh, we write, produce. He's like, oh, great. He goes, like, what do you got? Do you have anything I could read? And like, sure. So he gives him this script. He loved the script. So he started, and he's like, hey, do you guys mind if I, like, take the script around? Because I've got some meetings in town. And we're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, you know. And so someone at one of um, one of the studios met with the director. And they didn't necessarily, like, click with the director, but they read our script. And they're like, we love that script. Like, that script is great. So they brought us in, and they got to meet with us. And we had, you know, we had a meeting with them. And they're like, you guys are awesome. Like, we really love your writing. And, and they really liked us when we met with them. And like, you know what? We know someone who is a manager that we think would be a great fit for you guys. We're like, oh, okay. So that was how we got our manager because some, you know, so, somebody oh, met wow. somebody who said, gave it to somebody who said, oh, I like your script. I like you guys. You know, hey, hey, maybe this, this person will help you moving forward. And that was how we got our manager. And so they tried to send out the road race script. It, it went nowhere, but we were writing our next script at, the, at that point. And our manager like read it at the time and we have a different manager now but he read it and he goes he goes oh he goes this guy guys this script this script is amazing he goes we need he goes we need an agent you guys need an agent now so he arranged for us to get our agent so over about two and a half basically like two over two years in two years we had a manager and had an agent and <laughs> we were able to start sending stuff out but it was all like networking who you meet but it's also it's sort of that that luck thing having the you know the scripts were to be good. A party. And it's just like who do you meet you know to make it work oh, so right. but from there and it's just like you know um it, it's just about you know working with people that you trust you know who who and, and it, we have a group of writers uh peers that read our stuff and give us input and we're always taking input from everybody and sometimes we take it and we sometimes we don't but it's like you know um you know it's it's um it truly, truly takes a village sometimes to be able to operate at the level that we're at. But we, I mean, we're just, you know, it's been, you know, it took us five years to get into the writer, six years to get into the writer's guild since we wrote road rage um, because of the Netflix movie. And it's just like, you know, so we continue to, we're, I mean, I don't think anybody says like when you want to start writing, you're like, Oh yeah, guess what? It's only going to be 13 years from the time that you write <laughs> your first script before you actually get into the writer's guild. You know, nobody wants to hear that. You know what I mean, Ritter? Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that, you know, it's going to take, it takes five years, you know, six years to from a movie that you wrote, you know, so the one we wrote in 2016, the one that got us our agent, that's the one that just sold. It got optioned a bunch of times, but actually it's finally going to get made. That's five wow. years, you know? Wow. Um, but, you know, I think at the, I think the big lesson to take from this, if you want to take lessons or whatever, um, <laughs> is just that, if you love it and you do it and you keep doing it and you work at it and this is your passion and you just continue to get better and better at it, like good things will happen along the way. Like you make your own opportunities. 
You know, it's just like, how bad do you want it? I've been making movies, you know, since fourth grade. Okay. I'm really blessed and fortunate, you know, to continue to be doing that, you know, writing, again, produced, directed, teaching as well. But it's like, you know, it was really funny. I was at, I was at dinner the other night with a, with a, with a buddy of mine. And he's like, you know, he's like, so, you know, you just sold the script. It's great. He's like, so you and your wife, like when you do like sell a script, like you go out to eat dinner, like you have a big celebration. Right. And I looked at him like, you know, we kind of don't. And he's like, what? He's like, well, why not? And so I went back and I go, I've talked to my wife. I'm like, I, I told him the reason why we really don't do this is that because we've had so much, we've had to work so hard <laughs> to get to this point. And there have been so many failures and so many things that just the obstacles along the way. And it's, it's so hard. It's just like, it's just like, okay, well, they're great. It's less of a celebratory thing and more of a, oh, thank God it's over. Yeah. You know I mean? It's like, you know, it's easy. Like, it's like, well, what are you celebrating? Because, you know, I don't think we're, you're ever at that point where you're truly satisfied. Like, oh yeah, let's go out and eat and then, you know, take a moment, which is great. But it's like, yeah, but I just started another script. So now I've got that thing in my head. You know what I mean? Like I can't on rest. The next project. You can never rest on your laurels ever, uh. <laughs> ever, because there's always something that's going to happen next. There's always something else. So we have right now, we have three feature spec scripts that we've written over the last year and a half that are basically starting, you know, going back out. So we have three movies that are starting to go out to the town. Now, one of them has been held back because of COVID and the town has been super slow and nobody's buying. But it's like, you know, just kept, keep on writing and keep on writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, well, I think to kind of just cap it off, are there uh, any uh, projects uh, or things that you've written that are close to release that it's coming up soon that you would like to pimp out? Well, I, uh, there, there's that movie shooting in New Mexico that's called The Locksmith. Uh, mm -hmm. with Ryan Phillippe, Ving Rhames, Kate Bosworth. And that, that's more of a drama, like kind of a noir drama. He's a locked in the beginning of the movie. He's doing a job and he, um, uh, him and his, and his buddy are doing a job and they basically get caught. His buddy gets killed. He goes to prison for 10 years. And then basically he gets out of prison and tries to like reconnect with his girlfriend and Kate Bosworth and the daughter that he hasn't seen for 10 years and along the way the sister of the buddy who got killed basically says i need your help and she's um stuck in like a, a, some sort of crazy drug thing and she needs help to try and get out of that and so she basically weighs his guilt and says you need to help me and so he kind of has to put mm -hmm. everything on hold and then she ends up disappearing and is kidnapped and so it's like kind of this kind of noir detective kind of thing um uh -huh. So, yeah, so it's a, a lot different, obviously, than, you know, Hard Kill. Um, and then there's this movie, like I said, that we're shooting called Soulmates that will be, you know, fingers crossed, shooting in February. And they want to, and they want an October release for that. And so, finger, like, really, like, fingers and toes crossed is that, well, the movie that we shot with Netflix, that, that Netflix bought that script, that's actually going to prepare, uh, uh, be in October of 2022. Okay. And then this other movie, Soulmates, is also supposed to go theatrically because it's independent producers in oh. October 2022. So it's entirely possible 11 months from now, it's going to be all Chris Lamont and Joe Russo on theaters and on Netflix. <laughs> and calendar set for the locksmith to go. But it's like, you know, um, but it, it again, it's a, just a testament of, you know, the, the hard work. So, I mean, that stuff is going on. Phoenix Film Festival, I'll be at the festival. I'm, the, you know, the founder. I'm the president of the advisory board now. 
um you know that's you know end of march april um of next year and um you know and then you know asu gets its own film building in downtown mesa and uh you know so our film program is going to be huge a 70 million dollar facility that the city of mesa is building for wow the film that's program. amazing i did not i did not hear about that wow yeah it's uh you can go if you are ever in mesa um and you know where the like downtown where the mesa center of the arts is yeah and you cross the light rail and then that's where mesa city hall is and then you go across the parking lot just the north of that and there is this three-story building that is like the size of i mean it's huge it's it's a you know it's a little it's a it's a you know half a city block or whatever it is wow and it's going to have it's going to host 700 800 students it's going to host all of our film classes it's going to have state of the art everything four sound stages two through two 2800 square foot actual real sound stages uh -huh. um everything it's it's like so I, I i always tell students see i went to asu before there was a film school i actually started teaching before the actual film major started and uh -huh. so it's really easy now when students show up at asu they're interested in going to asu and say film and i tell them i go you are at the best time in the world to ever have come to this program you're just like you so have no idea how easy you've got it now <laughs> so many resources we started yeah. in one classroom and thir and 13 students and now we have over 600. It's crazy. Dang. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, well, but it's all about, you know, it's always about just, oh, you know, Joel Silver, you know, like producing The Matrix. I always remember the piece of advice he has. He goes, he believes in AM, FM, always moving forward motion. You can never stop. Keep on creating. Keep on doing what it is you love. Though You guys got this great podcast, you know, keep on doing this thing. You know, just keep having fun and, you know, keep doing the things that you love to do and great things happen. Yeah, yeah we, appreciate we appreciate it. Thank it. you. And we know we appreciate your time and uh, good luck to you. Good luck to you. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, I, I just, I, you know, I got to be honest with you, though. I, I didn't know, I thought, you know, when you said, you know, come on the show, you said, well, I want to talk about the film festival and I talk, I want to talk about Arizona incentives. I'm like, you didn't say anything about hard kill. <laughs> oh thanks Ritter. i thought you would have mentioned that a little bit that, that was a trap <laughs> so i you know just so, so uh, anyone who's you know, gonna be uh, uh you know deciding whether or not to come on the show here just be just be aware <laughs> you guys have a you know 10 toward the uh 10 toward the theatric and uh <laughs> well but no guys i've had a really great time today um and uh you know if you hey you want to be my friend on facebook you know i i've got i have friends i, I my well sort of but i, I so i post <laughs> stuff that I'm doing. i have some friends but i post what, like this good stuff that's coming up you know that's a good place to do it i'm really crappy at twitter and instagram and all that so but um but facebook okay. at least i, I, I know to, to, to check that i never check don't if you if, if you ever see me and you ask if you if i saw your facebook guys I'm going to tell you no. I, I apologize. I didn't see what you did on Facebook. I apologize completely. Um, but when, yeah, but um, but uh, that you know that's a good way. You can you know instant message me or whatever, and you web's my website chrislamont.com, and you know go to ASU and you can look me up. So um, you know I'm I, and if you ever have any advice or ever need any advice or you know you've got your scripts coming up, Ritter. You know if you are, I'll read something for you. You know because you seem like a nice guy and. 
you know, of course, every besides ambushing you with hard kill. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure I won't give you any negative criticism. Yeah. You the script to me. He's gonna listen to that podcast and go, "Listen here, you little shit. <laughs> I'm about to tear you apart." He's gonna make all no, of no, no, no. my students. They, they know that. <laughs> that's that, that's that, that's kind of a given. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, just yeah, you guys. He's gonna say they all need to star Bruce Willis now, shooting a gun. Hey man, if, listen, if you can get Bruce Willis in your movie, you'll get worldwide distribution. Hey, there you go. Well, with that, uh, we are Cinema Buns. We'll see you all next week. I'm Ritter. I'm Mike. Kevin. And uh, we'll see you later. Watch with us for Cinema Buns.